0: today we are continuing in hebrews Uh, we are in hebrews chapter 10. we're going to look at verses 19 through 39 if you uh, have your bible you can go go ahead and turn there it'll be up on the screen here in just a minute Uh, as i did last week with uh, chapter 9 i encourage you to read the sections of chapter 10 that we're not going to cover today in the message uh, there's certainly a lot of good stuff there, uh, but I've chosen to begin at verse 19 because the first 18 verses cover a lot of ground uh, that we've covered quite extensively uh, already. But do do read that this week. Uh, it's a good thing uh, to do, and I, I hope you will. But let's go right to the text today, uh, Hebrews 10, 19 through 39. We're going to do a hybrid of what we've been doing lately. We've either all read together or I've read. Today, we're going to do both. Uh, I will read several verses and then we'll all read a verse or two together. Uh, If we got this done correctly, uh, what you read will be in bold on the screen. So I'll read and then when we get to a bolded section, uh, we will all read together. We're going to make this just as complicated as possible. Are you ready? All right. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. His people it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the Living God remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Can you say amen to the Word of God? So let me remind us, as I have so frequently, uh, of the context of what we're doing here yet another time. The recipients of Hebrews included many who were being tempted to turn away from faith in Jesus and to turn back to the law and to turn back to the Jewish traditions of the Old Covenant. All of Hebrews has been an appeal to people to not do that. But instead, to stay committed to Christ, to hold on to him, to actively resist drifting away from Jesus, to refuse the temptation, to turn away from Jesus. The author of Hebrews has provided argument upon argument for why turning away from Jesus would be such a horrible decision. And we'll see more of those arguments as we go through our text. And all of the arguments have been rooted in this truth. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is superior to everything that came before him. As I've noted many times throughout the series, our temptations today in 2022 in the United States are very different from the original readers of, of Hebrews. But many believers today are facing temptations to turn away from Christ, and many are in increasing numbers. Or believers are facing uh, just a lot of distractions and busyness and life pressures that set us up to not necessarily make a conscious decision that we're going to turn away from Jesus, but, but we just start to drift away from Him. And one of the key things we see in today's text is that the writer reminds the believers that they have a role to play in each other's lives, That in the midst of the temptation that some are facing, other believers have a responsibility to help those believers stay faithful to Christ and to stand strong against temptation. It was true then and it's true today that believers need each other. We are not meant to walk this journey of faith alone. We are meant to do it together with our brothers and sisters, with the family that we were born into when we received Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Let's acknowledge that both then and now, the church is a messy place. It is a messy place. You know why it's messy? Because people are messy. You remember what we learned a week or two ago that the problem with the old law was the people The church is a messy place because it's full of people. But no matter how messy the church is, believers still need the church. Believers still need each other. We are to be a help to each other when temptation comes. And so our text tells us to encourage one another. Look at verses 24 and 25 again if you have your Bible. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. To spur someone is to prompt them to do something, to nudge someone in the right direction. Uh, Think of... uh, you know, a cowboy. And, and what's a cowboy wear on his on his boots? He wears spurs. And, and it's a metal spike that's worn on the back of a boot, and it's used to urge the horse to move forward. To spur someone on toward love and good deeds is to urge a person to move forward toward uh, those things, rather than to turn away from them or, or, or refuse to continue moving forward. It's, hey, move on. Get get going. Fellow believer, get moving. For a brother or sister who is facing temptation to turn away from Christ or who is slowly drifting away from Christ to spur them on is to urge them to stay committed to Jesus, to urge them to stop allowing themselves to drift, to urge them to begin exerting some effort in their relationship with Jesus. This This is a key role that we are supposed to play in each other's lives. Then and now, this is an important role that believers are to have in each other's lives. We are to encourage one another. The definition of spur includes to encourage. To encourage is to give support, confidence, or hope to someone so that they will do or will continue to do something that needs to be done. It is, in a sense, to speak courage into another person's life so that they'll continue with something that they're tempted to give up on, to speak courage into another person. We are to encourage one another. It's an interesting responsibility. And I think that often what believers consider as encouragement is actually sympathy or empathy. Things like this. I understand how you're feeling right now. That is really difficult the experience you've had that is really rough or a compliment you really led that ministry well you really did that thing with excellence now don't misunderstand those are forms of encouragement as we commonly use and understand the word those are good things but the truest sense of the word is what we see here in Hebrews to urge someone to keep going, to to urge them to do something that that they're not doing or they're tempted to stop doing, to impart support, confidence, hope, so that you'll keep going. In, In this context, so that you'll remain faithful to Jesus. It's to give courage to move forward with Jesus when one is tempted to turn away or is allowing themselves to drift away. And we're supposed to do this for each other. It's extremely important that we do it. It's a huge part of why God has put us together. It's extremely important. And in verse 25, the author of Hebrews writes that we need to be encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, there is some debate about how we should understand this reference to the day. Some believe it refers to the defeat of Jerusalem by Babylon in AD 70, so that it's really a a reference to a a coming trial, a coming difficulty. Um, Most believe it's a reference to the return of Jesus, the second coming of Christ. I, I think it's probably a reference to the second coming of Christ. And so it's a good time to remind us that every single one of us in this room today have lived our entire lives. There's not been one second of your life that's not been lived in the last days. We are in the last days. The last days began with the first coming of Jesus, and the last days will culminate with the second coming of Jesus. But both of these views uh, have good applications. Both of these views are, are okay to embrace. We should always be encouraging one another forward in our relationship with Jesus because he is coming again. And we should always be especially careful to encourage one another forward in our relationship with Christ when unique challenges and pressures and difficulties and persecutions come our way between now and the return of Jesus. So we're to encourage one another. It's really important in light of the approaching return of Christ. It's really important during seasons of trial and testing and difficulty. And in the midst of these instructions to spur one another on and encourage one another, we read this, spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Evidently, this was not just a 21st century problem with Christians. It's been a problem the whole, the whole time, the whole time. Even in normal times, evidence suggests that more and more believers are deciding that regular meeting with other believers is a take it or leave it thing. Even before COVID uh, happened, data was showing a significant drop off in church attendance among self-professing Christians. Some studies have shown that the average Christian attends worship two and a half times per month. Some studies have shown, and I actually think these are the more recent studies, have shown that the average Christian is in church 1.7 times a month, less than 50% of the time. And COVID, of course, has just made this worse. It's resulted in a significant fall off in church attendance across the country, Two and a half years after the onset of COVID, with most of the country back to relative normalcy. I mean, are you really seeing much going on out there that, that, that looks like it did two years ago? Looks to me like everybody's just pretty much doing what they did. And yet churches are reporting attendance losses of anywhere from 10% up to 60% and more. We've actually fared about in the middle here. Um, as our post-COVID attendance is somewhere in the range of 65 to 75% of our pre-COVID, meaning we're about 25 to 35% smaller than we were before COVID. So we've not done horrible. We're about in the middle of the pack. A few outliers have managed to maintain or even grow, but most churches have dropped somewhere in the range of 20 to 60%. I spoke with a friend in Michigan that's part of a very good Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church, and he said that they are at 50% of their pre-COVID involvement in the church. I heard of a church in the Detroit area that had 3,000 members before COVID, and today they have 1,000. There are significant negatives for believers when this happens, That those who have forsaken regularly assembling together are not properly considering, and that if any of us are in the (laughs) 1.7 times a, a month, that we're not properly considering. A big one is exactly what we're talking about here today, loss of the spurring on effect of regular interaction with other believers. That's a huge loss. If there was no other downside, that's a, that's a big enough one, that, that this is not the way it should be. Gaps in the continuity of systematic Bible teaching. You know, we've been in a series now for, for weeks, months. If you're only here 1.7 times, you're missing a lot of stuff that is in the Word for you to get. And you can say, well, I can get it at home. But Are you? Are you? Inability to commit to serving in Sunday ministries, and I didn't write this. This like I I pulled this from somewhere, and keep that in mind with this next line I'm going to read. Inability to commit to serving in Sunday ministries, especially children's programs. (laughs) Moving right along. Um, Impact on children who miss the regularity of involvement in their weekly Sunday groups. You can't do anything much worse for a christian child than communicate that 1.7 times a month is sufficient increase in the workload on the committed core who are faithfully there week by week and the committed core says amen (laughs) general discouragement of the rest of the church family who miss out on the fellowship of friends You realize your absence isn't just about you. Like we all want you to be here because we like you and we benefit from you. Poor example to children and less mature Christians. Man, we all like, this seemed like a really upbeat Sunday and all of a sudden it's just looking somber. Remember, I didn't write this. A general devaluation of the Lord's day, weakening of overall connection with and commitment to the local church family, and enhancing the privatizing of faith. Three or four years ago, I saw, I think it was a little John Christ skit of a person refusing to go to church because they could just do it in virtual reality in their own home. And so they had the virtual reality. A uh, little, whatever you call it, on. I'm good with precise terms. The device on. And here's, here's what it showed. They would start with a certain worship and they would say, I, I don't like that worship. So just, they just flipped to another church that was showing a different kind of worship. Oh yeah, I don't like that one either. So they flipped flip to a different one. And then the message would come on and they wouldn't like that message so they'd skip over to someone else that was preaching something different. And then in the middle of the message, a roommate called out, hey, I have some lunch in here. And so they just threw the device to the side and went and had lunch and abandoned the whole thing. Something like that. I might've got a few details wrong. That, that is not just a little skit anymore. That is happening. People are privatizing their faith. I'll take this worship from this church as I watch from home because I like that better. And then I'm going to skip over here and listen to this world-class preacher because I like him better than the guy that preaches at that place where I like the worship. We're just privatizing, privatizing. All right. Well, moving on. This is not how it's supposed to be. Christianity is done together. It is done in community, we need each other. So hear me clearly today. There are valid reasons for missing church, vacations, having to work, sickness, and so on. I wanna make sure you hear that because I'm about to miss church before too long. (laughs) And as you reflect back on this message, I wanna make sure that you heard me say there are valid reasons to miss church vacations was in there all right (laughs) but on average sundays when those things are not conflicting believers should be gathering together on sunday mornings it should not be a question that needs to be asked are we going today or not if you don't have one of these legit conflicts the answer should always be we're going that's just the default position If you're a twice a month attender here, not because you have to be, but just because that's what you choose, I'm just appealing to you today, okay? I'm never going to get in your face about this. I'm never going to call you up at your house and say, you know, you've only been here twice this month. What's going on with you? I'm never going to do that. But I do challenge you today. I appeal to you to commit to attending every week that you're not taken away for a good reason, You see, even if you don't see it right now, and sometimes we walk through seasons of our lives where we don't see what I'm about to say. We don't believe what I'm about to say. But even if you don't see it, you need the church. Even if you do not feel it, you need the fellowship of other believers on a regular basis. And even if you're finding right now the whole thing to be annoying And you're finding people to be disappointing you still need to participate in the life of the church and it needs to be a decision that you make once and for all and you never revisit because if it is that kind of decision in those moments where you're not feeling it you've developed a habit and you'll just keep doing it and that's what's good for you to do you need other believers to spur you to encourage you to stay committed to christ to hold on to resist the temptation of the enemy you're much more likely to drift away from jesus or even intentionally turn away from jesus when you neglect assembling together assembling together is not the only means but it is the primary means by which we spur one another on and encourage one another it is indispensable. so now let's consider what our text tells us about how we're to encourage one another, the things toward which we are either to encourage one another toward or encourage one another away from. Here's the first one. We should encourage one another, we are meant to encourage one another away from apostasy. Away from apostasy. That's what turning away is. It's apostasy. Verses 26 through 31 offer very pointed warnings about apostasy. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want to highlight a few things. The author notes that under the law, anyone who was guilty of unrepentant idolatry, so so they were worshiping a false god and they were not repentant for it, they would be put to death on the testimony of two to three witnesses. So if they were guilty of idolatry and they were unwilling to repent of it, there were no more sacrifices for them under the old covenant. They could be put to death. And so the author notes this, and then he asks this very uh, pointed, sobering question. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Verse 26 references deliberately sinning after receiving a knowledge of the truth. And so there appear in these verses to be two primary things in view that qualify as apostasy. One is willfully living a lifestyle of sin. Many commentators believe that this doesn't just mean situations where a believer has a struggle with a besetting sin. And of course, we all hope Many of us hope that, you know, that is not the case because a lot of us struggle with besetting sin, even though all sin is willful, and even though besetting sin is often an ongoing thing. But what a lot of Bible commentators uh, believe here is that they're, what's in view here is someone who isn't just involved in sin, who isn't just, in, isn't just struggling in sin, but someone who actually boasts in their sinfulness. They brag about the freedom they have to sin because we're under, the, we're under grace, not under the law. I, I know I never try to resist anymore, but I don't know why we're under grace, not under the law. I can just do what I want. God covers it all. Someone who can see the reality of the cross, the sacrifice that Jesus made, and then disrespect Christ's sacrifice by not even considering sin as a serious thing to be resisted, the author says that for such a person, the only thing left is a fearful expectation of judgment. The other thing that's in view in these verses is what we've spent so much time on in this series. People who have known the power of Christ and then turn away from him, they reject him And as we saw earlier in the series, most believe this is more than backsliding, which many believers do at some point in their walk with the Lord, or just a period where you're not walking as closely with God as you should. Like, that's not what's in view here. What it is, is a derisive rejection of Jesus, when someone comes to the place that they make the conscious decision, I reject Jesus. And not only do I reject Jesus, but I am now hostile toward Jesus and I'm hostile toward the things of God. These are the things that are in view. And of course we can debate whether these things can happen to true believers or if when these things happen, it just means the person was never a true believer to begin with, but ultimately it doesn't matter. Because in either case, the person and those around them perceived them to be believers. So either way, it's still a situation where someone who claimed to know Christ has now rejected him. In both of these situations, we can say the person has insulted the spirit of grace, as verse 29 mentions. This is apostasy. This is a serious thing. Only judgment awaits those who do this. And verse 31 warns, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus is our friend. I hope we believe that. But I heard a preacher say something one time that I think is so good. He is our friend, but it's not a good idea to get slap happy with God. It's not a good idea to take your friendship with Jesus casually, disrespect that friendship, ignore that friendship, ghost that friend. This is apostasy. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We are to encourage one another away from this outcome, away from apostasy. We're to help each other stay on the path to challenge each other when we're getting a little too casual with God's grace. Hey, brother, I think you're a little too casual about that sin you keep, keep saying you're struggling with. Let's, let's take that a little more seriously and try to walk away from that thing this week, okay? You, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but uh, I'll just admit I've noticed this in some of my own accountability relationships. You say you're being accountable to each other, and what you're really just doing is reminiscing about all the bad things you used to do and how much fun you had. Anybody ever had an accountability relationship like that? You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) But they're out there. I'm telling you, they are. And that is not pleasing to God. We're to help each other stay on the path. We're to challenge each other when we're drifting, when we're tempted to turn away. So we're encouraged, we're to encourage each other away from apostasy And then we are to encourage one another toward some good things. And let's look briefly at the things we're to encourage one another toward. Verse 22, we're to encourage one another toward drawing near to God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Verse 23, we're to encourage one another toward holding unswervingly to our hope. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You know, sometimes you need a brother or sister in Christ to just remind you, God is faithful. Because at that moment in time, you may not be feeling that. You may not be thinking that. You need someone to come alongside you and remind you that God is faithful. You may not see what God is up to right now. He may seem quiet or distant, but even in those times, God is faithful, and sometimes it's just the help we need for a brother or sister to remind us of that. On that day that's coming when we will know, even as we are known, we are going to see and we are going to know once and for all that God has always been faithful to us, even when it looked like we could not find him. And so, we hold on to that hope, and we encourage each other to hold on to that hope. Verses 32 and 33 were to encourage each other to remember how we previously persevered. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you did endure a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And so we come alongside each other and we say, hey, look, you have endured difficulty before and you've remained faithful. You can do it again. You, you did it that last time. You can do it another time. Previous hardships, don't, uh, previous hardships didn't cause you to turn away. Don't let this hardship cause you to turn away. We encourage one another. We speak courage into each other. Verse 34, we're to encourage one another to remember we have better and lasting possessions. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Think of this. Joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions than the ones that you lost. Matthew six nineteen and 20, Jesus taught us, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. One of the best things that could happen to believers in 2022 is to really deep down in our spirit, believe what we say we believe that this life is not all there is. We don't have to get it all now. We don't. If we suffer loss in the here and now, we know that we'll get it all back in a hundred times more in the next age. And we are to encourage one another with these truths. Verses 35 and 36 we're to encourage one another. To hold on to our confidence in order to encourage one another toward persevering don't throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded keep your confidence in god even if you don't see the reward now you will be rewarded it is a certainty keep your confidence in god we encourage one another this way you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of god you'll receive what he has promised all who persevere to the end receive the promise. All who persevere to the end receive the reward. And so we're to come alongside one another and say, you can do it. You can do it. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. You can do it. Maybe you've uh, seen video of uh, someone running a marathon and and they're sort of in the last stretch of the marathon and and they're like barely getting one foot in front of another and the video will show a family member over to the side but you know behind the the whatever it is the ropes or the, the barricade that keep the uh, spectators from getting into the street and you'll see them running alongside shouting out encouragements to their loved one you can make it, you're almost there, you can do it you've gone this far, you can finish it, keep going. We're to be like that for each other. We call out encouragements. You're almost there. You can make it just a little bit further. I saw a video this week. I think it was kind of an old video, but it was really, really good and touching. It was of a a, a young man who was running a race, and on the last lap of the, lap of the race, he fell, and he injured his foot, and, and he got up, and of course, everybody passed him by, and, and um, he wasn't going to you know, he wasn't going to win. He, he, he wasn't going to place. He was going to be the last one. And yet he got up and he, he just kept moving toward the finish line. And he's, as he came around the last lap, his dad came running out of the stands, ran out onto the track, put his arm around his son. Security was trying to stop the dad. And he was like, get away from me. He was pushing security away and he wrapped his arm around his son and he helped him cross the finish line this is what we're supposed to be like for each other i i know you've suffered injury i know you're hurting but you can make it we're almost there keep going hold on and finally verse 37 we're to encourage one another to live in to live in anticipation of the return of Christ. Verse 37, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Friends, Jesus is coming. He really is. Paul told us in Thessalonians to encourage one another with these words. Hold on. Jesus is coming. Don't give up. Jesus is coming. We need each other. We're to prioritize meeting together. We're to spur one another on. We're to encourage one another, especially in light of the fact we're living in the last days, especially in light of the fact that we're living in consequential times that test men and women and conspire to encourage us to give up. Uh, Or it'd be better to say discourage us to give up. We are in that context to encourage each other away from apostasy, and toward all these good things that we've just reviewed. And then the author of Hebrews ends the 10th chapter with a faith-filled declaration. Verse 38, my righteous one, some translations just say the righteous, will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And then verse 39 is This ending faith-filled declaration that the author spoke over the recipients of his letter, and that by faith, I am speaking today over every person in this room, and here it is, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Keep in mind that this was written to people who were at risk. The outcome was not known yet as to which way they would go. And so it is a faith-filled declaration over some people who were at risk of turning away. I don't know this by direct knowledge, but I just know it because it's true in any group of people, any group of Christians of any size. This is a true statement. There are some here today who are at risk. You are at risk of drifting. You are at risk of turning away. But in the name of Jesus today, we declare over your life, you do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. You belong to those who have faith and are saved. We declare that over you today. We claim it in the name of Jesus. This is a great prayer to pray over a loved one who maybe isn't walking with the Lord as they should. Maybe they're coming under the influence of forces that are trying to entice them away from Jesus. Maybe a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife. Pray, declare in faith, that they do not belong to those who shrink back. They belong to those who have faith, who persevere, and who are saved. When you're feeling weak and vulnerable yourself, pray it over yourself. God, I come to you today in the name of Jesus, and I pray that I do not belong to those who shrink back, but I belong to those who whose faith endures, and they're saved. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, although I really want to. But is there anybody here today willing to acknowledge that you've been drifting? Anybody willing to acknowledge that you're facing some temptation to turn away? Are you willing to own up to that? Let's be honest with yourself. I see some hands. Anybody else want to own up to that? Multiple hands have gone up. When I said I wasn't even going to ask for hands to go up, this tells you something about the depth of the struggle that believers are facing to turn away. Every one of you who raised your hand, and those of you who didn't, but but you would have if you were if you were asked to. Today we pray over you we declare over you. We claim in the name of Jesus that you do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. You belong to those who have faith and are saved. In Jesus' name, we declare it to be true. True faith perseveres. Christian, hold on. Jesus is coming. Goodness is coming. Everything that you have hoped for, everything that you have believed in, even when it's been a struggle, everything that you have prayed for, it is coming. Hold on. Don't give up. You're going to receive the promise. You're going to receive your reward. We claim you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand.